Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Max Curtin and I'm the Editor-in-Chief here at EM360. So in today's episode, we're going to be exploring the direction of contact center communications. In particular, we'll be discussing omni-channel strategies and how digital transformation is shaping the communication landscape today. So here to lend his expertise on the matter is Ben Rafferty, the Chief Innovation Officer at Semaphone. So welcome, Ben, and thank you for joining me on today's podcast. Thanks, Max. So obviously, omni-channel is a, is a big topic, so I feel like we should dive straight in here. When we're talking about omni-channel communication tools, they're one of the biggest drivers in contact center environments. I think that's uh, hard to argue against, but could you tell us why this is and really how it's changing the game for contact centers? Absolutely, yeah. The drive behind omni-channel isn't technology pushing this forward, it's actually consumer behavior and the requirement for most enterprises now needing to serve many different demographics. That can be untrue, depending if, you, if you're a retailer focusing on one particular demographic, but certainly if you're in you know, insurtech, fintech, utilities, communications, you will have to serve a swathe of consumers and they will have their preferred technology hand would be that be a telephone for a demographic or it could be web chat or mobile chat social media and it means that uh, enterprises are going to have to respond in turn by making sure that they have the engagement channels enabled through their digital strategy and that digital strategy needs to be backed by either a contact center or a uh, it used to be a call center but a contact center being able to support those users with queries or problems or issues through whichever channel they need to back off to. I think it's worth noting that there is, across that swathe, a, you know, a cost attributed to call centres as opposed to contact centres where every consumer has a one-to-one conversation with a customer services representative or an agent as opposed to a web chat where they could be talking to three, four, five, ten different consumers at any one time. You know, you've got different demographics, you've got different generations, so you need to have these plethora of tools to really service the needs of the people is what it boils down to, isn't it? You're absolutely right, yeah. So however you're, you you choose to uh, engage your customers, you do need to be able to engage with them in an effective way. And from my perspective, you obviously need to be able to transact in a frictionless way that's also kind of completely secure. And I think there's a popular rise at the moment that we're seeing, obviously, newer technology that we're getting into of chatbots and AI are also making waves in contact center communications, particularly when you look at AI as a service. So would you mind just giving us a little bit of a a rundown and and tell us about that? Absolutely. There's the hype cycle of AI. I think there are many people providing different AI services, and that really is a quantum from the kind of very simple point and click adventure type chatbot all the way through to NLP type AIs watching context driven conversation, which at the very deep end of AI, where you've got this kind of circle of AI supported by big data, which is then examined by machine learning, which is then continually improving the AI, which then exhausts back out to the big data and so on and so forth. So I think it's worth respecting that there is a quantum of technologies out there, even within kind of all the way from a, a very simple chatbot all the way to a very detailed AI. 
and having everything as a service is, is obviously comes with its with its rewards. And I think that quantum can be served through as a service in quite natural ways, certainly for e-com and MCOM type solutions, the MCOM being mobile commerce. The, the whole goal really for, for an AI or a chatbot, it can change from enterprise to enterprise. From, from my perspective, when I have conversations with providers of this technology, it can be to be the, the kind of be all and end all of your customer engagement. And that is a very brave and bold way of taking it forward. However, I, I think the, the majority of folks either use it as a support tool to either triage simple requests or supplement agent engagements where they're dealing with peak traffic. In being able to serve those busy periods, the whole goal of an AI is actually not for the AI to do the job for you. It is actually to help consumers self-serve and, and self-serve is the goal. You want you want consumers to be able to do everything that they could do on, on a website if they understood or had all of their questions answered. And so the, the, the trick is to use the AI in those broken processes that you might not know that you have or consumers may have missed some key information, but then to triage that caller back to the self-service happy path such that the AI is kind of in and out to support a problem or an issue in a customer services scenario and then dip back out again once the consumer is back on the happy path. I think the other point is that you know as as the, you know, the death of the high street we have in the uk is, is that is the term for most stores offering you know, more transactions through their e-com or mcom solution even if consumers suddenly desire to go back to the high street they don't have the footfall the, the kind of traffic that e-com sees and so that ai and chatbot experience and capability does serve that much higher digital footfall i suppose we would call it to supplement those uh, those consumers not having a, the, you know, the seamless, frictionless uh, transaction or, or customer experience that they would uh, imagine that they should be. I think that's what AI comes down to and, and what a lot of people forget. AI is there to make the process easier. It's not there to do the whole job. It's to, as you say, make those little steps a little bit uh, easier. And, and I think that's extremely beneficial, especially in this environment. Obviously, that role will grow in the future, but for now it plays a very important role. If done well, if done right, then actually the self-serve AI supplement process would appear seamless to a consumer anyway. You know, we, we see that already today where you try to leave a web page and it sees that you're having issues or can I help you or can I give you a discount? You know, these, these incentives to consumers. So we are seeing the advent of it and I think it will become more seamless as, as time goes on. I feel like with AI and, and what I want to move on to now is a sense of, there's a lot of communication mediums out there. There's a lot of tools that businesses can use. We, we've mentioned AI. We're talking about chatbots, web chat, SMS, phones. You know, there's a plethora of tools that people can use. So how do you kind of advise these organizations that manage these without feeling like they're spinning too many plates or getting overwhelmed by having too many tools? It's very interesting. I come at it from two perspectives when I'm when I'm talking to not necessarily security, sometimes compliance, sometimes technology professionals. Some of them are are kind of in the in deep in the woods and, and, and can't see the, the the woods for the trees. They're they're working on one particular engagement, could be for example SMS or web chat, and they're not seeing the architect view of their organization as a whole. They're not they're not rising above and looking across all of their channels. And what you end up typically seeing in that type of engagement is they either try to do it themselves or they try to bring in a single supplier to secure a single channel 
And if you were to take a step back and then look at all of the medium the channels, so your voice, your your uh, your web chat, your ecom, your SMS, QR, you end up with differing risk profiles by technology set, rather than considering omnichannel as uh, as a strategy that needs to be fixed as a whole. Obviously, with different risk profiles comes channels with higher or lower risk. And you then also end up with either multiple suppliers or multiple ways of engaging if you're doing this yourself or some technology divisions decide that they are that kind of have a go or have a go heroes never done security before in their life but you know they'll give it to jeff in the corner and he'll knock it up over the weekend and that's definitely what the unethical hacker is looking for those opportunities where the front doors have been firmly bolted but the doors and windows have been left wide open managing those risks my approach is to consider it as one risk profile uh, look for one supplier that can cater for all of your channels, you know, all of the all of the engages of channels, and look for kind of one solution to do that. Possible ways, if you're equipment of kind of uh, an accountancy view, would be about risk transfer. So looking to transfer that risk away from the business, away from handling toxic data. I'm sure we'll probably talk a bit more about that in a, in a second. So yeah, my approach would be to look at it holistically rather than in, in fragments. It may, it may seem easy to kind of wrap a bow around each individual channel, but I'm, I'm doing that could be costly, could be difficult from a management perspective, and will definitely leave the, you know, the security compliance teams with a bit of a headache when it comes to kind of the, the, the annual audits that we will have to go through. I think there's a very important nugget to take out of this is the risk aspect because when you're looking at the considerations for multi and omni-channel communications, it is ensuring that they're secure. You can't just put something in and just leave it like that. So what are your tips for kind of heightening security, but also making sure that you don't impede the customer experience along the way? Some of the stuff's fairly basic, but the amount of times that I work with organizations and they just haven't done the first principles of making sure that the suppliers that they're using are certified, those certificates are up to date, that they are annually attested, possibly by a third party, using fresh eyes on technology deployments. So there's there's some good techniques called red versus blue, kind of you know, take it in terms to attack and defend your own estate. And I think the big thing that's probably missed is just the big gap that people leave in their, in their um, security strategy is social engineering. There's absolutely no value in putting you know the biggest and best firewalls in place if you haven't trained your staff on you know the best ways of, of configuring them, not answering questions from people you don't know, challenging people who wander around your offices. You know, there's there's some really basic stuff that can be done without spending too much on your uh, you know on your technical estate by making sure that you you've got a really good staff training program around security. So that people, you know, are aware that they are part of the of the security perimeter. I mean, classically, it's it's kind of a cyber, social, and physical perimeter, and that social engineering that's just left open for attack. People are much much more aware than they were probably ten years ago of social engineering as a as a, as a technique, but putting it into practice it has become actually more difficult because people are starting to get kind of tired of hearing about all of the breaches that are going on. This this breach fatigue is, is kind of the name for it. And actually keeping people fresh and keeping people alert to engineering attacks that come through emails, that come through phone calls, that come through 
from comes through fax, you know, uh, uh, purchase orders coming from false organisations. So that would be something that I would recommend people take away and just go and, uh, and blow the dust off their uh, their staff handbook and have a look to see what they actually have put in place and perhaps does that need refreshing. No, I, I think that's a, a very good point in the sense of going back to the basics and familiarising yourself because we all do it. You've been in a job for X amount of years. You find quicker ways to do this and that, but it really does come back to that core value of this is how it should be done. This is why it's in place in the first place. And security, as you mentioned, people are getting a bit sick of the breaches. So it's uh, definitely something they need to be focusing on. I think when it comes to security, this is a very important issue for not only businesses, but consumers as well. So another aspect, obviously, factors into this is financial transactions. You know, they need a lot of care. They need a lot of attention, especially when you're doing it through an online chat system. So what's the best way to secure payments of this nature? This is quite simple for me. This is just don't handle that data in the first place. The global standard of uh, PCI and PCI DSS talks about collecting, handling, and transmitting cardholder data. If you're not doing any of those things, then PCI doesn't care about you. Uh, so if you can if you can find suppliers, if you can find solutions where your business systems simply don't collect cardholder data, simply don't transmit it, and are not holding it anywhere then actually you're going to make your auditor's life a lot easier, whether it's an internal or external. Um, your, your, you know, the whole cupboards being bare once they've been breached is absolutely true. Lots of the, the, the banks and the PSPs, sorry, payment service providers, all provide tokenization is kind of standard nowadays uh, where you're having to take that data and tokenize it for something that's essentially worthless. That's all well and good. However, you've had to handle that data in the first place and transmit it to get to your token and so these channels, these, these omni-channel capabilities are all very well and good. And, and lots of people say, yeah, we tokenize and you go, great, that's, that's good. So that's your, that's your storage taken off, care of. Let's see how you, you collect and transmit it. And, and there's been so many breaches around that area because people don't think that there are solutions where they don't have to handle it. So it's quite a long answer, but it's a very simple answer from my perspective. Don't handle unnecessary data. Yeah, and I think that's uh, spot on that people should heed a lot more. So <laughs> I'm glad you kind of put it into words there. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, you know, omni-channel strategies, they bring a lot of benefits to the business side of things. But when we're looking at omni-channel, they're also there to serve the customer. So who's driving the demand for omni-channel? What, what demographic are we looking at here? This is a really good question, actually, and, and, and I wish it were a simple answer. There's a lot of channel shift between omnichannel and between different types of engagements. If you were going to be buying a, a mortgage, then there are obviously apps out there to, to kind of help people find the best mortgage available and, and businesses trying to support that. But there are many people who will still prefer to pick up the phone and talk about a mortgage. However, if you're a retailer selling you know, clothes, it is less likely you're going to pick the phone up and, and complain. You're going to send an email. You might send a tweet, you know, complain on social media. But uh, you might also find that this channel shift blends as you go across the different generations. A good example of that is that whilst you know, millennials or Generation X, Y, Z will happily use web chat as a primary preferred channel of engagement. The example I use is, or I, I, we talk about and everyone kind of nods knowingly about is the boom of the older generation using web chat when they're at work. And the reason for that is if they are in the office buying 
goods and services when they should be working, then actually it, it works quite nicely for them to have a web page open in the background and have a chat to an agent on a web chat system when they absolutely knew that they would be in, in trouble at work with the boss if they were phoning their contact center up asking, you know, where's that good or service. There is even a kind of time shift in the day between that, that, what, that, that channel shift where web chat is used more heavily when people probably shouldn't be doing that. But as an enterprise, if you think that there's a deal at the end of it, you don't care about the consumer at the end's personal arrangements. You'll just make sure that it's easy for them to engage. So it's not a straightforward answer. It depends on the goods and services that you're supplying to the demographic that you've chosen to serve. If you have no say in the demographic that you're served, then you obviously have to serve more channels. And you might want to look at the the good old-fashioned Erlang stats which are the, the, the statistics that drive contact center and the agents you have on the phone at what point of the day, your workforce management take capabilities. And actually, again, take a good sharp look at that and, and, and review, do you need to have more people on web chat at certain points of the day as opposed to people on manning the phones at certain points of the day? So how you how you respond to that, you know, it needs to be uh, carefully considered. I think retail events, you know, your Christmas and, and uh whatever your period you're selling in Black Fridays need to be considered as well and making sure that you've got capabilities for agents to be available. And then, of course, as we've already spoken about, the AIs and the chatbots there to serve, to kind of peel off the top and triage uh, some of those issues where it doesn't necessarily need a contact centre agent and you can drive the person back to a self-serve scenario. I've got to apologise. That was a... Hard question to ask, but I feel like you hit all the key points there because it, it's true. It's it, it comes down to what the business is, who the people are, the demographics, and you know everyone in that demographic might not be the same as the rest of them. So it, it's it's such a hard question to answer, but I feel like it's important for organisations to just offer a plethora of services that people can kind of pick and choose from and let the choice go up to them. Yeah, and I think the one I maybe touched on at the beginning, um, but it's worth calling out, is is the value of the transaction. If it's a high-value transaction, chances are you want to speak to a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So how do we kind of wrap up here? We've talked about omni-channel strategies. We mentioned a bit of AI as well. All of this is kind of spearheading the direction of communications and where we're kind of heading. But I wanted to get your thoughts on your predictions for the future of, uh, of these contact centers? Going way back, there was, I think, the Sears catalog, uh, you know, the, the, the best kind of guerrilla marketing that there was of getting a, a catalog with a thousand uh, goods and services out to uh, you know, farms and, and rural locations and using the postal service to deliver uh, goods and services to communities. If you look at uh, you know, the way that e-com is driven now, it's, it's, it's instead of de- delivering a, a thousand-page uh, catalogue, you're delivering a very tailored service to very tailored individuals. And I think uh, you know, contact centres will become better at predicting where their customers will be spending money, suggesting uplifts to goods and services based on historic spending patterns. And indeed, when there's going to be issues or issues with payments and financial issues that a consumer may have. So I think we will continue to evolve the fascacy of the individual market capability for marketing, but also you know, supporting that with AI, 
means that your contact center may look very different in that you may be a blended environment of humans serving consumers directly and the humans serving the AIs and the machine learning technologies that support a greater swathe of that customer base. As I say right at the beginning, if you've, if you've got a website, then you're going to have to support omnichannel, whether or not you, you have a place on the high street or not. And whether you uh, choose your demographic or not, you need to be able to serve uh, a much wider swathe of engagement channels than you previously had imagined that you, you would have chosen to. Yeah, and I think that's a, a very good way of looking at it. And, and it is an exciting time. It's You look at how much it's changed in the past five, ten years. And as you say, as businesses evolve, they need to evolve with it. And an omni-channel is the, is the best way forward. So... Ben, all I can say is it's been an absolute uh, pleasure talking to you, and I really appreciate you giving uh, your thoughts and expertise on this matter. Thanks, Max. Really nice to speak to you. And thank you to everyone for listening. It's been a, a really good conversation. Make sure you go to semaphone.com for more of the information on what we've discussed today. We will be back with another podcast soon. Make sure you head on over to EM360 Tech for more great content. But until next time, we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.